0: Well, good morning, Blue Water. So good to see you this morning, and that is what we are here to do. We are here to uh, declare and make much of the King of Kings forever, right? Is that what we're here for? That's what we're here for we are this morning wrapping up our series uh, our fall series in the seven deadly sins now if you are if this is your first time here this morning uh, you're just kind of catching the tail end of this I have found this series to be personally very uh, beneficial personally very helpful and the reason is because it's been helpful to kind of dial in on focus in on some of these particular sins some of these things that trip uh, us up some of these things that trip me up and and to to kind of focus in on the the real uh, dangerous, the real um, uh, problematic effects, the real ugly fruit they bear in our lives. So, so they call these sins deadly for a reason, right? The other thing that this has been incredibly helpful for me has been a good reminder of the fact that man, like the, 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 the solution to all these sins, the solutions to the problems in my heart is not for me to reach down and pull myself up, up by my bootstraps. That's not the, the, the helpful thing the helpful thing is digging into uh, my life and throwing myself on Jesus. And it's only through his work on the cross that we can be forgiven. It's only through what Jesus accomplished on the cross that we can have victory over any of these sins. So we have disgust, sloth, greed, anger, gluttony, lust, envy, and pride. And for those of you who are counting, guess how many that was? That was seven. Kind of raises a question. Why are we still in this series? Well, we are adding an eighth deadly sin to the seven deadly sins because there is nothing quite so uh, presumptuous as taking wisdom from 1700 years of church history and saying, I think we can do it better. (laughs) But what we're going to talk about today is actually, I think, the deadliest sin. And the reason I say that is because um, all the sins that we've talked about these seven deadly sins and any other sin we can find forgiveness we can find wholeness we can find reconciliation from those things in Jesus Christ but did you know that there is a sin that the scripture says won't be forgiven did you know that? If you have your copy of God's Word, which I hope you do, would love for you to open it to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, we're going to be starting in verse 22. Mark chapter 3, verse 22. And as you're turning there, just want to set the stage a little bit. Um, what we find in each of the Gospels, in especially in the early parts of the Gospels, what we find is that the religious leaders of that day, all the different factions and whatnot, were, were coming to him and trying to figure out whose side he was on, whose team he was on, okay? So uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, and others, they were testing him with questions. And the amazing thing was, he was like, uh, they were like, this guy performs miracles. We can't perform miracles. This guy casts out demons. We can't do that. This guy uh, teaches like we can't teach. He teaches with authority. This guy has a following. People follow him, not like they follow us. Whose team is this guy on? So that sets the stage a little bit for uh, Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 22. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 22. Here's what it says. So the teachers of the law came down from Jerusalem. They had been testing him, and here's their pronouncement. They said, he is possessed by Beelzebul. Now, that is a, there's more to it than this, but just, that's another name for Satan, okay? He's possessed by Beelzebul. He's possessed by Satan. By the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him, because he knew what they were saying, and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? He's applying logic to the situation here. Verse 24, if a kingdom is divided against himself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand, his end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then you can plunder the strong man's house. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven all their sins, every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. such an interesting passage there's so much going on here these religious leaders are like hey this guy's possessed by Satan and it's by Satan that he's casting out demons and so Jesus again he applies logic to the situation he goes think about this guys if a house is divided against itself like that house is not gonna stand what he's saying is even if I was driving out demons by Satan you should be happy about that because that means that his time's done his house is divided he's done now he's not driving out demons by Satan. Um, and we see that in verse 27. This little, so this is a little tiny parable that he tells in verse 27. I love this. He says, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. So imagine going to someone's house. You open the door and walk in you grab their TV and start walking out and then you grab their uh, stereo and you start walking out and you grab their computer and you start walking out you're you're plundering this guy's house and the strong man says hold on a minute that's my stuff you're in trouble if you want to take that guy's stuff if you want to plunder his house what do you have to do first thing you got to do is tie the strong man up as soon as you tie the strong man up you can take all of his stuff What's the point Jesus is making? The point is, Jesus is saying, the fact that I am casting out demons, that shows that I have bound the strong man. That shows that I have bound Satan. And it's because I have bound Satan that... He can be plundered, that those that were his can can be set free. This is what Jesus is saying. And then he says this amazing thing in verse 28 and 29. So this is all set up to where we're trying to get to today. He says, truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. By the way, when he talks about slander, he's talking about them slandering him. (laughs) He says, but... Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Another translation, so uh, in Matthew chapter 12, a parallel passage, Matthew's telling this story in the way he renders it. In uh, Matthew chapter 12, he says, so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, pastorally, there's people that have come to me from time to time and said, This is a, like, what is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? I, I think I might have committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I, 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 I think I can't be forgiven. What is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Well, f- fundamentally, what it is it, it, it is, it is taking the work of the Holy Spirit in Christ and attributing it to Satan, okay? So it's knowing who Christ is. It's knowing what Christ has done. It's knowing how the Spirit has used him and worked uh, through him and in him in this world and saying, actually, you know what? That's actually Satan at work there. That's not God at work. That's Satan. So when you drill it down, Fundamentally, what the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is unbelief. It's unbelief in Jesus. And so that is the eighth deadly sin, the deadliest of all sins that we are talking about. It's the sin of unbelief. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that there's the sin that's so big that Jesus' sacrifice can't cover it? When I was growing up in church, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you're here for the first time. Um, I'm not sure, but I, uh, growing up in church, regularly heard things like, hey, there is no sin, there's nothing that you've done that can be bigger than the forgiveness that you have in Christ. Have we all of a sudden found a sin that's bigger than what Jesus accomplished on the cross? Well, the answer to that is no, and here's why. The forgiveness that we can have in Christ, we can have it freely. So it's free to us, but it wasn't free. Christ died on the cross. He paid the price that we should have paid so that we can be forgiven. Now, that doesn't just mean that by default all of us are forgiven because the vehicle by which we can access that forgiveness, the way that we can access that forgiveness is through faith or through belief. So it's not that the sin of unbelief is so great that it keeps, this is bigger than what Jesus accomplished. No, no, no. What unbelief does is it keeps us from accessing that which we could freely have. This is why unbelief is the deadliest of sins. In Micah chapter 7, verse 19, we'll throw this up on the screen for you. This is what it says, uh, talking about the Lord. He says, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot, and you will hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. I love that picture, taking all of our iniquities and hurling them into the depths of the sea. It's like that song we've been singing, right? That he, he throws our sins into a sea without bottom or shore. I love that line. And we can have that, that forgiveness, our sins, thrown away from us. We can have that, but it's accessed through belief. And without belief, or when we are trapped in unbelief, we can't access that forgiveness. That is why we say that unbelief is the deadliest of sins. If you think about how you are entertained, um, most of us are entertained uh, pretty, pretty regularly, pretty frequently, and a lot of our entertainment happens through a screen. True? Is this true, for, is this true for me? Is it true for you as well? Well, back in like most of recorded history, but I'm thinking specifically of the late 1800s, they didn't have screens to, enter, to be entertained like we do. So if you didn't see something with your own eyes, like if something cool happened and if you didn't see it with your eyes, it was just gone. Like you just missed it. You maybe could hear it from someone else. Can you imagine something like that? Like something cool happens and you can't go to YouTube to find six different camera angles of people holding up their cell phones. Like can you imagine? Um, And in that context, there were entertainers who would travel all over the world entertaining people and uh the, the one of the most famous entertainers of the 1800s was a guy by the name of Charles Blondin he was a French guy uh, he was an, uh, a tightrope walker and acrobat and uh, his name his uh, stage name was the Great Blondin and so he would travel around and they would string up these cables between high buildings and or, or high places and he would just walk the tightrope and people would come from forever away to see it um, It doesn't seem all that exciting to me to watch a man uh, walking slowly in a straight line. I guess if he falls off, he could die. That's what what makes it exciting, right? The the possibility that you might see him die seems a little morbid, but one of his most famous uh, events was walking across the Niagara Gorge, Now, the Niagara Gorge isn't all that far from here, so probably most of us or many of us have have seen it. And and if you can think for a minute, think about standing on that railing, looking at the falls and looking how far down. It's a pretty significant drop. And so they strung up a cable between the two sides, and he walked across. I think we have a picture of it. Ian, maybe can throw that up for us. There he is. This is uh, the event that I'm talking about. Charles Blondin walking across the Niagara Gorge. And so he uh, had his little pole and he walked in a straight line across the line. Very exciting. Everyone clapped and cheered. He wasn't done though because what he did next was pick up a big box and he carried it out into the very middle and set it down. The big box was a stove. He cooked himself an omelet and ate it. Right in the middle of the gorge, we actually have a cartoon that's a drawing of it. I don't know if you can see that very well, but th- that's Blondin, uh, Blondin cooking an omelet over Niagara. Okay, I'm not sure how much look like that it looked, but it was something like that. Cooked an omelet and ate it right in the middle. Then he took everything back and everyone cheered and applauded and the crowd was was getting pretty fired up about this and he said, "Uh, I need someone to help me with my next, uh, my next, uh," he probably didn't say trick but whatever, performance, I don't know, whatever he said and he looked through the crowd and there was a a young teenage boy and he said, hey, would you like to be part of my act? And and the boy said, oh, okay. And and Blondin said, jump on my back and I will carry you across on this rope. And the boy said, nope. (laughs) And Blondin tried to get the, hey, everybody cheer for him. Everybody cheered and, and, uh, come on, hop on my back. Nope. Now, how many of you would have been excited to jump on Charles Blondin's back and get walked across? I mean, you could be part of history. Anybody interested? Not seeing very many hands. Blondin offered him money. Nope. Offered him more money. Nope. And finally, uh, in, in some degree of frustration, he said, Blondin said, don't you believe that I can do this? What an interesting question. Because on one hand, this guy, this this young teenager, had just seen how great he is, he was, on the tightrope. He'd just seen him cook an omelet and eat it in the middle. He said, don't you believe that I can do it? And the young boy said, "Uh, I believe you can, but I don't trust you can. (laughs) You see, he had seen how good he was he had seen, and if you would have asked him, hey, do you believe that Charles Blondin can can cross this with someone on their back? I'm sure that boy would have said, absolutely, I believe that. Oh, you want it to be me? You see, when it hits us, then it's a little bit of a different thing. I think there's a lot of people that are very much like that who say that they're Christians. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe in Jesus. Do you believe that he died on a cross for your sins? Yes, I believe that. Oh, wait a second. You mean there's something required of me? You mean there's something that I need to to do that's a result of this belief? If that young guy had, had believed, like really believed, he would have thrown himself at Blondin and Blondin would have carried him safely across. I have to ask you this question. Do you believe in Jesus? And I'm not asking about if you believe in the theoretics of the whole thing. I'm asking, do you believe with the type of belief that causes you to throw yourself on Christ so that he can carry you safely home? Do you believe that? Maybe you're here this morning and this is the first time you're hearing a a, a message like this and maybe when you look at your heart of hearts you you have to admit to yourself that you know what I, I I don't actually believe in Jesus with that kind of belief I'm gonna ask you today to make a real maybe a scary choice a real scary choice to believe in him with that type of belief The type of belief that is going to have an effect on you the type of belief that's going to have consequences for you because here's the the truth unbelief results in a very scary thing man and no one wants this to be true but not believing in Jesus with that kind of belief results in eternity spent separated from God in a real place of anguish called hell and no one wants that to be true but that is so true. And if you've never made a decision to believe in Jesus with that kind of belief, I'm going to ask you to, um, to be so bold as to pray to God. And, and praying to God is, might sound like a big deal, but really it's just talking to the Lord. And I love how Pastor Steve um, explains this to children. Maybe it's because I'm not that smart, but it makes a lot of sense to me too. But he talks about the ABCs. So you can talk to to the Lord today. You can talk to the Lord right now and A, admit. Admit that you are a sinner. Admit that you have done that which is wrong. Maybe you can't even think of things that you've done that are wrong, but maybe you can think of some some things that are right that you should have done, but you didn't. Maybe there's an opportunity to intervene for someone or be generous to someone or speak for someone and you knew that that was the right thing to do, but you just let that pass. So admit to the Lord that, that there's wrong that you have done and right that you should have that you didn't. Uh, B, believe. This is what we're talking about. Believe in Jesus. Tell the Lord that you want to believe in Jesus with the type of belief that would cause you to throw yourself on him and, and, and trust completely on him to take you safely home. Admit, believe, and then C, commit. Commit. Commit your life to following him. Last week, if you were here, we talked about this this interesting theological, technical term called the Lordship of Christ, which is just a fancy way of saying Jesus is the boss. And, and, And becoming a Christian, part of what that means is that Jesus is the boss of me. Part of If you're a Christian, that means that Jesus is the boss of you. So when Jesus says jump, we say how high on the way up. We don't get to pick and choose what we like about what Jesus says. No, no, no. He is the boss. And we commit our lives to following him for our life fully, completely. And you can talk to the Lord right now and admit, believe, and commit your life to him. And if you do, which I commend to you, (laughs) That is what it is to be a Christian in the biblical sense of the word. That is what it is to throw yourself on Christ and trust in him alone to take you safely home. I also want to take a minute and talk to those of us who are here this morning who would say, yeah, I I do believe in Jesus. I have believed in Jesus with that type of belief. It's important that we understand that if we are in that category, what God wants from us, what God has for us, the marching orders that he has given us is to help others understand the deadliness. Is that a word? I think I might have just made it up. The deadliness of the sin of unbelief. It is incumbent on us to talk to those who we know who we love and tell them about the good news of Jesus and and how they don't need to be trapped in unbelief and the dangers of unbelief you might be thinking that sounds scary that sounds awkward I don't like that I, I get it it's hard I understand and especially for those, um, those that are here that are Gen Z, I'm looking around and seeing some of you, all the studies show that there is something in the ethos of our culture, especially among those that are Gen Z, who, who um, it, it just feels so wrong to tell someone about the beliefs and the faith that you have. All the studies show that. In fact, there's a recent Barna study that said that, uh, okay, so 44% of Gen Z Christians, okay, so I I think the cutoff for Gen Z is like 24 years and younger, so like my uh, uh, people that are my kid's age, okay, so the generation below me, 44% of Gen Z Christians, so this isn't just everybody, this is Christians, either agree or strongly agree with the statement that it is wrong, that it's unethical, it's wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone else with the hopes that they might one day share the same faith. So that means almost half of people who identify as Christians, who are Gen Z, think that not only is it awkward, not only do I feel uncomfortable doing this, it's actually wrong. But for those of us who are in Christ, we need to understand that Jesus has given us marching orders. The marching orders that he has given us is to make disciples of all nations to the ends of the earth. And that involves opening up your mouth and speaking for the Lord. Is it awkward? Can be. Is it scary? Can be. But we need to believe in Jesus with that kind of belief. Do you struggle with the deadly sin of unbelief? You do. I would love to talk to you more about that, about how you can believe in Christ, how you can put your faith in Christ. I would love to talk to you about how you can throw yourself on Christ and trust Him. For those of us who do know Him, my question is, um, and uh, this is not a rhetorical question. I'm actually looking for you to answer this in your own mind. Who is it that you are talking to about Jesus? Who is it that you are praying for that they would come to know Jesus? I would like you to identify either a name or the face of a person in your mind. Who is the person or people that we are talking to about Jesus? Unbelief is a deadly, deadly sin. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And as they do, I want to, we'll throw this on the screen for you. I want to read for you a passage from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11 and 12 what the Apostle Paul says. He says, and of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. So in other words, what he's saying is that God gave me the job of announcing or heralding or or telling people about uh, Jesus. Verse 12, that is why I am suffering as I am. Guess what? If you're going to be Uh, A herald of the gospel like we've been talking about if you're going to take this seriously there is going to be difficulty and suffering that come along with that expect it get ready Paul says that's why I'm suffering I uh, suffering as I am yet this is no cause for shame says, I'm not ashamed of this because I know whom I have believed He says, I know, I'm firm on this. I have thrown myself on Christ. I'm trusting him to take me safely across because I know whom I have have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him to that day. In other words, he's saying, I'm convinced that he's not gonna drop me as he's carrying me safely home. May we be those, may we be a church who lives this out who throws ourselves entirely on tr- on Christ trusting him for every good thing to take us home may we believe those who may may we be those who believe with that type of belief I love that so much that though our sins were many His mercy is more than all of it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that your love is so great, that your love, that that you are so kind, that you have made a way to, to restore us, to make us new, to forgive us from all of our sins. Lord, I pray that we would be those who believe, that we would access that by faith, by belief in Christ. Lord, I pray that this week you would help us to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. It's to him that we give all glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Friends, thank you. You are loved.